Well, as I was thinking about Christmas and thinking about things that, that go together, there, there are things that, that, that fit together. For example, okay, you, we're going to start off being a little interactive here this morning, okay? Uh, if I said peanut butter and, you would say jelly, all right? Okay, if anybody said anything about peanut butter and pickles or something like that, you're wrong, okay? It's peanut butter and jelly is the, the, the correct answer there, okay? Uh, maybe, maybe you'd say milk and Cookies, all right, good, all right, a lot of, so a little bit less, okay, but, uh, but yeah, all right, okay, milk and cookies. Um, my wife left, but if I said handsome, you would say Kyle, right, okay, that's, uh, I don't know what Isaac said, but uh, he's fired, so, but anyway, uh, there's, there's words, words that go together, right, you know, you think a uh, chain reaction, kind of things that, and, and so whenever, whenever you say Christmas, there's things that, words that go with it, so if I say Christmas, you might say Christmas carols, right, okay, Christmas Slay, Christmas tree, exactly, Christmas presents, yeah, presents, uh, movies, uh, ultimately Christmas story. And whenever we think of the Christmas story, there are characters in the Christmas story. Now, I'm not talking about the movie, okay? We're talking about the Christmas story from the Bible, okay? There's characters in the Christmas story from the scriptures that immediately are, would come to mind. Uh, names like, for example, you know, Mary and Joseph. It's a pretty big name in the Christmas story, right? Uh, we, we, we would almost immediately think of them. Ultimately, we think of Jesus. That would be the number one, right? We might think of other names like shepherds. We don't know their names, but you know, we know this group of guys, these, these shepherds. We, we would think of them. Maybe we think about the angels, the message that they proclaim. We think about the wise men. Last week, we talked about one that maybe gets looked over a little bit, but we, maybe we even think about Herod, right? We, there's different people. We, we might even think of uh, Zacharias and, and his wife Elizabeth that, that had John the Baptist that was going to come and proclaim Christ's birth. We, there's a lot of names that we would associate with the story of Christmas. might even think about the animals and, and, and some of the, the characters like that were involved in the story of Jesus. But the one that we're going to look at this morning is one that is really just kind of forgotten character in the story of Christmas. One that, that rarely gets mentioned, but the truth is, is he's an important character. In fact, he, he actually sees Christ before the wise men do. And, and, and yet, so often we, we just we overlook him, we don't even think about him. And, and what he has to say is it, it foreshadows the life and death of Christ, and yet nobody ever talks about Him. But I hope today, when we're done with the service, that for the rest of time, when you think of Christmas and the Christmas story, you'll think of all those other names. But I hope you'll think of this one as well. And more importantly, I hope you'll think of the message that He gives. Because today we're going to look at a man from the Christmas story who is very important, his message is very important, and he's a forgotten character in the story of Christmas. The man we're going to look at this morning is a man by the name of Simeon. Simeon. So for a few moments, we're going to open the Word of God and we're going to look at this man. A man that, that probably, maybe some of you didn't even know that he was here. That he was even a part of the story of, of Christmas. But we're going to see very clearly that he's an important, a pivotal part of the Word of God when we think of Jesus and his birth and what's said about him. So if you have your Bible, look at chapter number 2 of Luke. And we're going to start looking in verse number 25 in the scriptures. And we're going to find out this first of all. We're going to find out who Simeon was. Lay a little bit of groundwork just to learn a little about who he was so we can understand the message that he gave. Look at Luke chapter number 2, verse number 25. The Bible says this, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
The same wind was a just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to, uh, to, to do for him after the custom of the law. So, who, who was Simeon? Well, some have said that Simeon was a, was a priest, may have been a priest. And, and while that could be true about him, the Bible doesn't actually call him that. It never says that he's a priest. In fact, the Bible just tells us that he was a, a man in Jerusalem. And so there's not a lot that's really said about him. There's not a lot of background that we have for him. But we do know a couple of things about him. And the things that we know about him are very important and oftentimes very powerful. The first thing that we know about him is this. He was probably, he was probably old. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's just the case. He probably was, was an older fella, a little aged in years, probably gray on the head. We don't know his exact age because the Bible doesn't give it to us like it does some of the other characters in the Scripture. But we know he was probably an older man. And why is this? Because the Bible makes direct mention about how he was, he was promised that he wouldn't see death until he saw the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. That's what the Bible tells us, that, the, that God had given him this, this, this promise. And, and when he does see Christ, his response is kind of interesting. In, in verse number 29, he, he says this, he, he says, The Lord, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. He said, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to, to pass on. I, you know, I, I, he, He's no doubt probably a little up in age and, and ready to go to heaven. And, and, and you say, Kai, why is that important? Well, the reason that's important is because I'm thankful that, that God has no age restriction on who he can use. You know, I think there's, there's some people that, that may think to themselves that, you know, once they reach a certain point that, that God's just done with them and, and they can't be used for his purposes. And yet, God uses this older man that we're going to see in a minute to declare a very important and an incredible message in the word of God. It doesn't matter if you're the youngest or the oldest in this room. God, God can use your life. And, and God has a purpose for your life. And, and, and here from this, this, this man that no doubt was up in years, we, we can see that God was willing to use somebody no matter what their age was. What a, what a powerful promise to us. But then we see this, that he was also a devoted follower. He was a devoted follower. Look again at verse number 25, the, the second part of that. It says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Bible just simply tells us that he was just devout, and he was, he was waiting. Simeon, I believe he, he had a good testimony. He had a good reputation about him. When people saw Simeon around town, they probably had a number of different thoughts about him. Maybe some teased him by the way that he walked because of his, his advanced age, maybe, you know, and, and maybe that was part of it. Uh, no doubt, uh, whenever he got around the family, if he had family, uh, no doubt they, they probably teased him a little bit because they had to repeat things over and over to him because he couldn't hear the first time that they told him. And, and, and no doubt, whenever they got around, and, and, and he probably said more than, than a couple of times, you know, whenever I was was young let me tell you a story and, and he probably told the same story over and over again and uh, you know they probably got to got to enjoy those things and and there were probably a number of things that maybe they teased Simeon about they made fun of him about and kind of joked about but there's one thing that there was no question they knew that Simeon was devoted to his God they knew that he was committed and a committed follower to 
his Lord. And, and I kind of think that after maybe the snickers and the laughs and, and, and the fun and the, the bickering and things like that back and forth and the bantering went back and forth. After all of that was done, I think that maybe there was a challenge that followed in everyone's mind that, that Simeon, Simeon was the real deal. He wasn't just some man. No, he was a real, committed, devout, just, patient follower of the Lord. There's no question we could use a few more of those today. I'm thankful the more time that you spend here at Whitehall Baptist Church, the more that you'll find that, that we have a lot of people in our church that are devoted and, 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 and just and, 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 and waiting and, and patient. And, and you'll find a, a number of followers like that. But I can tell you this, we could use more. We'd use more in the church. We could use more in the world today. People that are just the real deal. People that, that don't just wear their Christianity on Sunday mornings, but they actually live it on Monday whenever they're at work. Believers that, that don't just talk about Christ whenever they're in a congregation like this, but they actually talk about Christ whenever they're out in the world as well. Friend, we could use a few more of those, and I believe that's exactly who Simeon was. He was a devoted follower of God. But we know something else about him. The Bible tells us that he was a spirit-led man. This is, this is really cool. In fact, in three verses, three different times, it mentions the, the role that the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost has in his life. Look again at verse number 25 again. We'll look at these verses. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. And the man was, he was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, the Bible says. It goes on in verse number 26. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then verse number 27 and he came by the Spirit into the temple. Simeon was, was led by the Spirit. He was controlled by the Spirit of God. You know, I, I think the Holy Spirit had a, had a big part in his life. And, it, and that's challenging to me, and it should be challenging to you as well, because the question then is begged to be asked, is the Holy Spirit a big part of your life? I mean, let's just be real. Most of us haven't thought about the Holy Spirit in our life all week, let alone, you know, this morning. <laughs> in fact, if, if most of your houses are like mine is usually, uh, you know, it's just uh, a real battle just trying to get out the door and get to church on time and still be in somewhat of a spirit that isn't an evil spirit, okay? I mean, that's just, that's just the, the reality of the, the case. And, 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 and we should be challenged by Simeon to, to be somebody that's controlled and led by the Spirit, and when the Spirit comes and, and, and lives inside of your heart as, as a Christian, it should change things. There should be some things that are, are different. I, I heard a story of a, of a dad and a daughter who were driving home from, from church one Sunday after, after church, and as they were driving, the, the dad looked over and he could just sell that, see that his, his daughter had a little bit of a troubled look on her face, and he couldn't, he, he, he kind of wondered, he just kind of leaned over and he said, what's, what's wrong, sweetheart? What's, what's bothering you? And, Said, so, well, the Sunday school teacher said something today that I'm just having a hard time wrapping my mind around. She said, the, the Sunday school told me that, that when you accept Christ as your Savior, that Jesus comes and lives in your heart. And, and the dad looked at his daughter, not really connecting the dots. Let's, you know, what's, what's okay? You know, what, what's, what's wrong with that? And, 
She said, well, if he comes and he lives in my heart, he says, I'm such a small person. Wouldn't he stick out a little bit? (laughs) And I think she's on to something. You know, as Christians, if you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you ought to stick out a little bit. You ought not be somebody that could just be hid and just tucked away that, that nobody's able to see. There ought to be a different in, difference in your life. You see, the Bible tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, this, is, this cool verse, it says this, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. The Bible tells us that when you accept Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within you, and you should live differently. Paul, Paul talks about this a little bit in In Galatians chapter number 4, he says this in Galatians 4, verse number 3. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. We were controlled. We were were bound by by the world and and by the the, the things of the world. He says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent his son, made of woman. There it is, the birth of Christ. Made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. He goes on to, 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 to ask the question then. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye, where ye desire again to be in bondage? He says, listen, he says, before you knew Christ, before you accepted Him, He said, you were in bondage, you were bound. He said, when you accept Christ as your Savior, you're freed. So he scratches his head and he says, why do you go back over and put the binds back on? Do you desire to be in bondage again? No. The life should be different. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you're no longer under the bondage of sin. You're no longer under the bondage of this world. You have the Holy Spirit living within you and the Spirit gives you life and freedom. Paul goes on. In the same book to talk about this battle that we often face. He says in Galatians 5.16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He says this, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. He said, there's a battle going on inside of me. So it's, it's constantly fighting. He said, the battle is, is there's, there's the, the old part of me, the person that, that, that I was, that wants to go back and do all, all the things that I shouldn't do. But he says, then I have the spirit that's inside of me that, that's fighting for me and saying, no, you, these are the things that you should do for Christ. He says, say, there should be a difference, but there's this battle going on. And he says, finally, it manifests itself. He says, okay, if you're going to be given to the flesh and give over to that part, he says, well, the works of the flesh in, in Galatians 5.19 are these. He says, they're manifest, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I told you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, these, these works... These type of works that are of the flesh, he says, they're things that, that somebody that doesn't know Christ does. And yet a Christian that's not controlled by the Spirit will find themselves in the same pit doing these same things. But then he goes on to share what a Christian who's led by the Spirit looks like. And he says this in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit, single fruit, so in this fruit, 
It's composed of all these other things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If ye live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You know, sometimes the best way to determine if you're being led by the Spirit or not is what your life doesn't have in it. I wonder if, if, if your life would be defined by the things that are in those verses. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Are those things that compose our lives? Because that's how it should be. They should be a big part of our life. When was the last time that you asked God's Spirit to lead you? To lead you in decisions that you're making with work. To lead you in decisions that you're making about how to lead and parent your kids. To lead you in decisions about the things that you're struggling with. Maybe with your spouse or, or maybe with your family. Hey listen, it, it's the holiday season. Family get-togethers are galore. I mean, they're, all, they're happening constantly. And some of us need to stop. I'm, hey listen, I'm joining myself in this. Some of us need to stop beforehand and say, God, help me to be in the spirit when I'm with my family. Okay? Because we all understand what can happen at family get-togethers. All right? You've probably been there. Simeon was led of the Spirit. And here's here's the biggest key. You know what it did? The Spirit led him to Christ. You know, a a good test to know if you're being led of the Spirit is this, is are the decisions that you're making leading you closer to Christ or further away? Because the Spirit will never lead you further away from the Lord. In John 16, verse number 13, Jesus speaking to His disciples says, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever he shall, you shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He says, listen, the Holy Spirit will always guide you into truth. And you can mark it down, friend, that, that if you're finding yourself going down a different avenue that's leading you away from Christ, you can mark it down. That's not being led of the Spirit. Because the Spirit will always lead you closer to Christ. You know, before we could look at the message about Simeon that, that he has for us, we have to first look at who he was. And, and it's important to, to kind of nail some of these things down. He was probably old. And praise God, he, he can use anyone at any age. He, he was devoted. He was the real deal. And that should be a challenge to us. And, and Simeon was spirit-led. And, and that should challenge us that Jesus would stick out of our lives as well. But here's the crux of the message this morning. The real, I mean like the main point of the message. It's not so much about who Simeon was. Although those things are important and they are a challenge to us. The most important part is what Simeon says. What Simeon says. Look at verse number 28 with me. It says this, Then took he him up in his arms, and blessed God, and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, 
This child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon had been given a promise that he wouldn't see death. And the Bible says it this way, until he saw the consolation of Israel. That's kind of an interesting little phrase there. And, and it's easy just to kind of read it and just kind of pass over it and not really think about it. But, but as you dive into it, it's, it's an important part. The, the, the phrase is interesting because the word consolation is the Greek word. I know Greek. I mean, it's all Greek to all of us, right? Okay. But listen, the Greek word here is the, is the word paraclete, okay? Now stick with me because this is cool. It's the same word used in John 14, 16. When Jesus tells his disciples, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another paraclete capital C, comforter, that he may abide with you forever. This is, this is awesome. The word comforter here is used to describe the Holy Spirit. Now, why, is this so, why is this so cool? Why is this so important? Because in one simple phrase, just a couple of words, the consolation of Israel, Simeon is pointing us to the triune God. Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. Now listen, we could have debates about how you describe the Trinity, and, and the word Trinity is not even found in the Bible. We go back and forth and, and trying to wrap our minds around it. How can they be three distinct people, but, but all one? And how can they be equal with each other? And the truth is this is, I don't know. I don't know how that all works, okay? Because I, I, my mind's not, not big enough, okay? And, and, and the Bible tells us that His ways aren't our ways, and His thoughts aren't our thoughts, and, and we're never going to be able to fully wrap our minds around some things from the scripture. There's some things that we just have to accept by, you know, like by faith. That the Bible says it, and instead of just trying to figure it all out, that we just have to, you know, believe it and trust God in it. Because the Bible tells us in 1 John 5 7 and, and, uh, uh, that, that there are three that bear record in heaven the Father, the Word, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. And the Bible says, says and these three are one. And it wasn't just talking about one in purpose. No, they're one in equality. They're one in, in, in their power. They're one in who they are. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why is this so important? Because at the very beginning, before, uh, before Jesus even started his ministry, this man Simeon held Jesus in his arms. And the Bible tells us that he was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for, can I say it this way, the Messiah to come. And in this moment, he was holding him. In this moment, Jesus, and as we're going to see in a second, Savior was declared. The Bible tells us in Philippians 2.6, it says, Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is God in flesh. 
And he's now being held in the arms of Simeon. And then Simeon goes on to say something that would shake the world, their world, and it would shake ours to its very core. Verses 30 through 32. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. Oh, the, the child that he was holding in his arms, this child was the providential Savior. See, Romans chapter number 5, verse number 12 tells us this, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world. Who was that man? It was Adam. All the way back at the very beginning, we know the story. There Adam and Eve were, and, and Eve, she took of that fruit and she ate of it, and she gave it to her husband, a fruit that God said, listen, you can have any fruit, anything that you want. Just don't eat of that one tree. They have the whole world. Just don't, don't eat that one. Well, the problem with sin is it's tempting, you know. You guys have probably seen the video where they've got the, the little kids and they're sitting at the table and, and the parents tell them, listen, they, they take a little piece of candy and they, they put it in front of the kids and they say, listen, don't eat that. If you don't eat that when I come back, I'll give you another, another price. And, and like almost every time, the kid's sitting there and, and, and all of a sudden, I mean, he's looking around. They grab it and stuff it in their mouth. You know what I mean? It's just every time. Why? Because the temptation is just too much. And, and the truth is, that's, that's the case with us as well. I mean, it's, temptation is, is hard. And that's what happened. The Bible tells us Adam, Adam struggled. Adam saw it. Adam took of that fruit. He ate of it himself. And the Bible says, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Here's the problem. We're all sinners. Romans 3.10 tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. And if in case you didn't miss and didn't, didn't catch it, it goes on even further, a little bit further in that, that same passage. And it says in, in verse number 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of, of God. If there's anybody in here that doesn't believe that they've ever sinned, well, just ask your spouse, okay? And uh, it'll make clear that you have. If you don't think that, that you were born a sinner, a sinner, just look at a child. Feel free to come over to my house and see mine, all right? I mean... We're born sinners. It's just the way that we are. And that's a problem. Because in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin, or the payment for sin, is death. A condemnation that's passed upon every person. person. A, a, a punishment that's given to everyone, and that punishment is in eternity in a, in a lake of fire. In Revelation, it talks about that there's the second death. And all those that don't know Christ as their Savior, that they haven't accepted Christ as their Savior, the Bible tells us that one day they will open their eyes in the, the lake of fire. That's a troubling thing because I've been burned before and it didn't feel good and I really don't have any desire to swim in a lake of fire. And nobody truly does. And yet the Bible says that's the payment that you and I deserve. Now don't miss this for all the good works that we could do. Sometimes we get in our head that, well, you know, the, the punishment is, is all of the, the bad things that I've done. And so because of all the bad things that I've done, that's why. But, but maybe the good things that I do could make up for it. And then I could get to heaven on my own. But, but that's not the case at all. No, 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 no. The Bible tells us all of our righteousnesses are but filthy rags. All the good things that we could do, they amount to... Here's the good news. 
Romans 5.8. But God commended, He demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You could put your name in there. But God commended His love toward Kyle. In that while Kyle was yet a sinner, Christ died for Kyle. And you could put your name there too because Jesus died for you. Oh, the familiar verse in John chapter number 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the reason that Christ came to earth and was born and He was laid in a manger wasn't just so we could sing Christmas songs about Him. It wasn't, it wasn't just so we could have a big meal together, even though I really like them, all right? It wasn't so we could go and look at beautiful lights and put up a Christmas tree, even though those are fun parts of the Christmas season. No, Jesus came for a purpose. He was born to die on a cross. Why? Because the wages of sin... Is death. So someone had to die. And now Simeon is holding salvation and flesh in his arms. And this is so cool. Verse 31 and 32. He says, Which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy this is so neat. In verse number 33, the Bible says that, that Mary and Joseph, they marvel at what he has to say. They, they're, they're stunned by this. It's the same word that's used just a couple verses back in, in chapter number 2 and verse number 18. Whenever the shepherds come and they share about the incredible experience that they had out there. And the angels appeared and they declared unto them, hey, glory in the God in the highest. Hey, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. I mean, they declare this incredible thing. And then these shepherds go and they find their way to Mary and Joseph and they're standing there before them. And they say, listen, we got to tell you what happened. This was unbelievable. And after they tell them, the Bible tells us in verse number 18, they, and after they heard all the, uh, 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 and on all they that heard it, wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherd. The word wondered there. It's kind of this idea of like, I mean, jaw dropped. Like, I can't believe that happened. Like, wow. It's the same word, wondered. They marvel here at what Simeon has to say. Now, why would they, they, they marvel? Why would they, they stand back in awe of this? Well, some, some say maybe it was because they couldn't believe that someone else knew who Jesus was. You've got to remember, there was a very select number of people that knew who Jesus was at this point in time. We've got to figure probably Mary, you know, she, she knew. Uh, Joseph. Maybe Zacharias and, and Elizabeth, uh, Mary's cousin, because she went and spent three months with her. So you, you know how it is. Two pregnant ladies together. They, they get talking. And I'm sure stories were shared. Okay. But I mean outside of that. I mean you had the shepherds. And there wasn't much else. And in fact. There was a lot of things going on in that day and time. Very soon, Herod was going to give the command to kill the children uh, with uh, two years and under. And so, I mean, there was a lot of things that were happening at that point in time. Mary and Joseph, whenever they heard it, some people say, well, they were just in awe that he knew. But, and while I think that, I mean, that maybe that was part of it, I, I don't think that was the, the main reason. I think the main reason that they were stunned is found in those two verses. 
Because in verse number 31, it ends with all people. Verse number 32, it says that he's a light to light the, the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. You got to remember up until this time, the, the Israelites, they're looking for their Messiah, but the Gentiles, us, meant nothing. Now, we know in the Old Testament, there were certainly times that, that God stretched out His hand and, and showed grace to the Gentiles. And there were times that God showed Himself real to the Gentiles. But the bulk of the Old Testament was written to, to Israel. God dealt with the people of, of Israel. So in this moment, Simeon holding this child in his, in his arms, and he says, oh, this child, he's a Savior. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we know about that. Yeah, we know about Emmanuel. We know about Jesus. God, we know about all those things. Oh, yeah, he's the Savior for all people. What'd you say? For the Gentiles, and he's for the Israelites. See, right after the Bible says that God sent his son to this world because he loved the world so much in John 3.16, in verse number 17 he says, For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him should be saved. When Jesus came to this earth not just for a select group of people. He came to this earth for all of us. For you. For me. And finally, Simeon wraps up the greatest gift of Christmas in verses 34 and 35 with a powerful foreshadow of what's going to happen. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, for a sign which shall be spoken against. And he looks at Mary, says, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. He says, Your son, Mary, is going to be the centerpiece of many who reject his coming and then ultimately accept that he is who he said that he was. Mary, the suffering you are going to experience as you watch your precious son go through this. Oh, it's going to reveal the true hearts of many. You know, at that moment, Mary couldn't comprehend that one day her son was going to be betrayed. I mean, when you hold a little baby in your arms, I mean, there's a lot of things that you might think about their life. But betrayal? That's what Simeon pointed to. Mary, your, your son, he's going to be betrayed. Mary, your son, he, he's going to be taken and he's going to be beaten. Mary, your son, one day is going to be taken and, and he's going to be mocked and he's going to be spat upon. Mary, your son is going to be rejected. Mary, your son is going to be taken. He's going to have a, 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 his back torn from his, 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 his flesh is going to be torn and, and the bones are going to reveal themselves as it happens. And, and then they're going to take this, this splintery cross and put it on his back for him to carry. Mary, one day your child is going to go to the hill Gagatha and he's going to lay down his life as a payment on that cross. Nails will be driven through his hands, through his feet, 
He's going to hang on that cross and people are going to walk by. And Mary, you're going to see it as your son hangs there. Blood drips from his head, from his face, from his hands, from his body. Mary, Mary, it's going to pierce you like you couldn't imagine. Oh, she couldn't imagine what it was going to be like when he was laid in that borrowed tomb. She couldn't imagine and understand the heartbreak that she would feel for those three days as she wept at the loss of her child. Oh, but friends, she couldn't imagine the rejoicing that she would experience on that third day when she heard those wonderful words, He is not here, for He is risen. Why? Because Jesus had conquered death. He was victorious over sin. And it was His resurrection that changed everything. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15 verse number 14. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also vain. He says it's pointless, it's worthless if Christ isn't risen. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain and you're yet in your sins. Hey, that's bad news right there. But then he goes on to write those wonderful words in 1 Corinthians 15 20 but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept O death where is thy sting O grave where is thy victory the sting of death is sin the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ oh friend there's wonderful hope in the birth of Christ why because there's wonderful hope in the death of Burial and resurrection. In fact, if we didn't have those, then the birth of Christ would be pointless. Because Christ would have just been another man. But He wasn't just another man. He was God in flesh. And this is the message that this little, old, devoted, spirit-filled man shared with Mary and Joseph. As he held their baby in his arms. And that is the message that's being shared with you and I today. You see, there's hope in the cradle because there's hope in the cross. There's hope in the stable because as Simeon said, he was born the Savior. And there's hope this Christmas. Why? Because there is hope in a risen Christ. Friend, Ephesians chapter number 2 makes it so clear in verse number 8. He says this, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, the greatest gift, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible tells us that it's not by the things that we can do to obtain eternal life. Man, I sure wish my wife... She loves to do checklists, all right? Tressa, she's, she's a big checklist person, okay? I'm the type of person that's like, listen, we could have all the things on your checklist that you're making done if we didn't make the checklist, okay? I mean, that's, that's kind of the way that I am. Like, let's, let's just go and do it instead of sitting down and making a plan to, to do things. Tressa makes plans to plan, 
for things. It's just it's the way that we are, and, and God puts opposites together, but, but, but she, she'll make checklists, and sometimes she'll make them for me, and she'll put them on a little board, a little whiteboard on our fridge, and, and, and I'll go in there, and okay, here's the things I need to do. Okay, I gotta, I gotta mow the grass in the summertime, and, and I gotta do this, and I gotta do this, and do this, and, and listen, and you gotta go through and check the, the things off. Sometimes I wish that that's how salvation was. That it was just like a checklist, because then it's something that I could do myself, and I could say, okay, uh, if, uh, to, 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 to get to heaven, what I have to do is, is I have to go to church. Check. Good job. You know, all right? You can, we got it. We got one down, all right? I got a smile on, you know, Christmas service. Check. You know, okay? You know, and, and you make your way down the list. I got to be a, be a good person. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty good. Check, you know, and, and, and you make your way down the list, and I got to be baptized, and I got to get money, and and I gotta, I gotta, you know, do, do all these these things, you know, and, and check, 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 check. Okay, finally, that's I checked the list, and so now I know that I I'm gonna go to heaven. But here's the problem. It's not what the Bible says. It says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Here's how it would be like. We, we've we've said this before in our church before. If it was based upon the works that you and I could do then one day, whenever we got to heaven, we'd walk over to each other. Because I know how this is, okay? I mean, as men, listen, I, I've, I've hunted before, okay? I've looked at hunting pictures. And here's what happens, okay? If somebody shows you a hunting picture of, of a deer that they shot or an elk that they shot or something like that, you know what you're immediately doing? You're not going, you're saying, yes, that's a nice one. But you're pulling out your phone so that you can swipe through and find your deer or your elk that you shot so you can show that one to that. Why? Because we, we're always trying to, you know, one-up one another. You know, Aaron's a big fisherman over there. And I, I told a fishing story last week. And, and you know, you catch a fish and, and you got to show the picture. And it's like, oh, yeah, that was a nice fish. Well, but let me show you this one, you know? And, and uh, you know, even if it's not the one you caught, you got to show somebody else's fish because it's bigger than the one they're showing you. And it's just the way that it is, right? That's how it would be if we went to heaven. I mean, like, we'd get there and be like, how'd you get here? Well, you know, I was, I was a good person. I gave this amount of money to the church. Oh, that's, that's great. Let me, uh, let me show you what I did. You know, I mean, like, that would, that's how it would be. It, it would be something that we would boast about. And so the Bible says it's not of our works. Lest any man should boast. Not about going to church and being baptized and giving money and, and even being a good person. Titus 3.5 tells us it's not by works of righteousness, the good works that we have done. But it's according to His mercy. He saved us by the washing, regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. You know what's, what's amazing? Is that mercy, we, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, mercy is something that cannot be deserved or worked for. Grace is not something that you can deserve or work for. If you deserved or worked for mercy and grace, it wouldn't be mercy and grace. In Romans chapter number 4, it clarifies a lot of things. I love these verses. In Romans 4, verse number 4, it says, Now to him that work is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. This is so powerful. I hope that you'll get it. I share this verse often because it's such a powerful verse. The Bible says here that, that if our salvation was based upon my works, then it would be almost as if me coming to God and saying, God, because of what I've done, you're in debt to me. You owe me. Can you imagine? God, you owe me. I mean, like, watch out, the lightning might strike. I mean, like, that's not, he owes us nothing. But verse number five goes a little bit further. 
but to him that worketh not. I mean, there it is. It doesn't work for it. But believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You see, everyone wants to go to heaven, but so many are trying to figure out their own way to get there. And it doesn't work that way. There's only one way. It is not according to this preacher. It is not according to any preacher. Can I tell you how it's according to? This book. Because this is God's word. And God's the one that makes the rules on how things work. If you want to get to heaven, you've got to do it His way or no way. You see, in, in John chapter number 14, Jesus says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Not works. Friend, I want you to understand this morning, I'm thankful that you're here. But I can tell you this, when you walked in this door this morning, if you identified as a Buddhist, a Baptist, a Mormon, a Muslim, a Catholic, or any other type of Christian, you can call yourself whatever you want. But simply giving yourself a label isn't getting you any closer to heaven. It's only the one who is Christmas is all about. Christ. It's about His death on the cross. Not our good works to try to do something to get there. You see, Romans chapter number 10, verses 9 and 10 tells us this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and your baptism and and the money that you gave and the times that you went to church and the good works that you... No, 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 it doesn't say that. Because there's only one name under heaven by men that you must be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Because that's what makes all the difference. You go to the tomb of Buddha, he's still there. You go to the tomb of Muhammad, he's still there. You go to the tomb of Joseph Smith, he's still there. You go to the tomb of every Baptist preacher that's ever lived. And they are still there. Listen, friend. There's one tomb that he's not there. It's not because somebody stole his body. It's because he rose again. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. That's a promise. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You say, Kyle, are those your words? No, friend, they're, they're, they're right from this book right here. Because we have to have a final authority. If you missed everything else, don't miss this. Today, when you walk out of this, this church... After you eat the meal, okay, everybody's going to stay for that, all right? But after you leave, you're going to decide who's the final authority. And can I tell you, it's going to be one of two people. It's either going to be God or it's going to be you. If it's God, then you are bound by what this book says. If it's you, then you can go find it however you want. But as we heard We're playing on God's chessboard. And there's only one way to get to heaven. And it's through the way he says this book. By putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. If you want to open the greatest gift of eternal life this morning, you understand you can do it right where you are. 
Say, Kyle, do I have to come and I, do I have to talk to you? Do I have to com- confess your sins to, to, to my sins to you? And, 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 and my answer to you is, well, if you're going to confess your sins to me, then I'll have to confess my sins to you. And this is just get awkward real quick, okay? Because I'm a sinner just like you are. I'm not perfect. And no man is. We don't have to go confess our sins to anybody except for him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, John 1, 9 says. See, I'm all about early Christmas presents. All about them. I love them, all right? So, I mean, like, I'm, I'm terrible to, to buy gifts for, and I'm terrible to, uh, to buy, whenever I buy gifts for somebody else. I mean, like, I, I've got to, I, when I buy gifts for Tressa, I'm like, just like, can I just give it to you now, please? I mean, I just want to, you know, I just want to give it to you. I don't want to, I don't want to have to, I don't want to hold on to it. And, and like, I, I've gotten a couple of things for it. Don't tell her, okay? I got a couple of things for it. She has no idea. I asked her, I was like, she's the worst at buying Christmas presents for it. I asked her, what do you want for Christmas? She says, nothing one of those yeah oh yeah she's she's one of those okay and nothing it's like yeah right come on everybody wants something and so I had to go out and and, and actually really think about it is awful and, and you know and, and buy some things for it. and then I have to go and hide them and uh and it's awful because it's like I just want to take them and give them to her right now and and uh that's just the way it is I, I like I like early Christmas presents whenever they're given right then and friend this morning you could receive the greatest early Christmas present ever the gift of Jesus Christ and His salvation. The gift of eternity in heaven. Not because of what this preacher says, but because of what the Bible says. Hey, we can learn a lesson from the reaction to the Christmas character who was forgotten. Simeon. An old man, devoted to God, led by the Spirit. Whose message would change the world. And it can change your world this morning. Because if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can do it right where you are today. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed. We do this at the conclusion of every service where we have a time of response to the Lord. And, and you say, Kyle, is this kind of like some, some weird thing? No, 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 listen, we're not going to embarrass anybody. We're not going to make you feel weird or anything. You don't have to do anything, actually. But this is an opportunity for you to respond to the Word of God. That's the point of preaching. It's not just so we can listen and and clap our hands or smile or walk away and say, man, I didn't like that very much. But no, to respond to what God's Word says. This morning, maybe you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Well, listen, we, we saw a lot of things this morning, but that was the crux of the message. That was the most important part. And Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. Not the way that the Bible says to do it. You say, Kyle, I've been trusting in things that I could do to get me to heaven. Here's the thing. Religion has a list of do's that we have to accomplish. But Jesus is all about done. He already did it. Because the wage of sin is death and Jesus died for you. And his payment was satisfactory. Why? Because he wasn't just a man like you and I. And so what do we have to do? He comes to us and he offers us the gift of eternal life. That's what the Bible calls it. How do you receive a gift? You receive it freely. You can't earn it. If you could earn a gift, it's no longer a gift. Just like grace is no longer grace if you earn it. And this morning, maybe you say, Kyle, I don't understand everything, but I know this. I am a sinner 
and I know that I need a Savior. This morning, God spoke to my heart about that. Friend, can I encourage you? You don't have to do anything crazy out of the ordinary. I'm not going to embarrass you at all. But I can tell you this, right where you're seated, you can pray and accept Christ as your Savior.